Mindfulness Mode 363. When I was able to forget the experiences and forgive the people in those experiences, I marveled at how I could carry a heart filled with love and light. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Please subscribe to the show if you really enjoy it. And hey, Mindful Tribe, join us on the free Relax and Breathe Summit with Zen Sensei Pompey Strader Vidal. Just spend a few minutes at home or at work applying the simple techniques you'll learn to find calm, clarity, and focus. I'm a guest speaker along with more than 20 other experts. This free summit includes two 30-minute interviews every day over an 11-day period. It's coming right up, so just hop over to mindfulnessmode.com slash RAB2018. And of course, the RAB stands for Relax and Breathe. Okay, another thing is I've just returned from speaking at the Global Zen Consciousness Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and wow, what an amazing event. So exciting to share the stage with event organizer Shafu, and you might know him as Chi Daru. I've uh, interviewed him a few episodes back. He's a Kung Fu master leading many teams to championships. There was also Dr. John Haglin, Harvard-trained quantum physicist, and Dr. Stuart Hameroff, director of the Center for Consciousness Studies at the University of Arizona. Dr. Robert Schneider. I mean, there were so many great speakers and wonderful people to meet. I was able to do quite a few great interviews right there in Orlando, and you'll be hearing those speakers coming up in upcoming episodes. And on a more personal note, on returning from Atlanta, I have to say I'm struggling with the the death of a close friend and my ex-wife. She passed away yesterday, and it was quite a shock. She's been an incredible support, especially in the last two or three years. I've had a challenging and emotional day today, and I'm just getting my episode posted now. So, well, let's shift gears. Let's get ready so that you can sit back and relax and enjoy today's heartfelt interview. Mindful Tribe, I believe you are going to get so much value out of today's show. I'm so excited for my guest today. And my guest is Dr. Ruby Bray. Dr. Bray, are you in mindfulness mode today? Absolutely. I live in mindfulness mode, Bruce. I've purposed to start every day from that place. That's great. I want to share a little bit about you with our listeners. Dr. Ruby Bray is president of Wooly Turtle. And WoolyTurtle.com is where she is a certified executive coach, Georgetown trained, and is an expert in the topic of leadership and organizational performance. She created the Business Breakthrough Program where she works with high-level professionals from around the world to boost their leadership skills and business performance. Dr. Bray was a university doctoral professor for 16 years. She recently retired as a lieutenant colonel 
for, with more than 21 years of service and a vice president for a technology firm. She's chaired more than 80 dissertations, and in so doing, she has supported leaders in many institutional types, finance, government, education, entertainment, health, labor, law, manufacturing, and defense in locations around the world. So I'm excited to talk with you today. What does mindfulness mean to you, Dr. Bray? There was a time when I thought mindfulness was simply awareness an awareness of the external environment. Across the years, I've come to believe that mindfulness is really an inside job primarily. It's being able to clear my mind so I can hear the voice of the divine and the universe speak to me in ways that inform how I'm to be, what I'm to say, and what I'm to do. And when I am attentive and open from an empty space, I marvel at how my response is such that it is often right on target. People often ask me, how is it that you do this? And I found that living this way makes it possible for me to do what my mind alone could not do. Well, Dr. Bray, I remember very clearly meeting you in San Diego at the New Media Summit, and you have a wonderful way of connecting. I found that out immediately. Have you always been that way? Have you always connected with people? Bruce, I can't not say honestly that I have. From the time I was really small, people would talk to me, old people, married people, teens would just tell me things. And I felt like I was like a little clam. I would hear their stories, and they had such trust in me that I would not gossip them away, that I learned to listen and to listen with the heart. As I've aged, I've had experiences that were really painful. And so I stopped listening with the heart, and I would respond with what felt like my human frailty. And as a result, I had to unlearn that and go back to what I knew as a child about how to really be present. Dr. Bray, what was one of the most painful experiences that you've gone through in your life? Well, I grew up in Montgomery in the middle of the civil rights movement. And because this is Black History Month every year, I am reminded of the experiences that I had when I integrated a middle school they say that much of who we come to be shapes us between the ages of four and seven years old. Well, I was a little older than seven at my middle school, but I tell you, the experiences there with young white children who had learned to hate little black children and to mistreat little black children, coupled with what was happening all around our city, with adults, adults who were marching and protesting injustice. In my heart, there became a callous, a callous where I wanted very little to do with white people. And what I have learned over the years is that I've really had to forgive those who called me names, threw things at me, said horrible things about me, and were just mistreatful, mistreating me and mistreating other people. 
What this has helped me understand that forgiveness now is just a an action that I must embrace almost every day, that I find myself letting go, canceling bad things, releasing bad things, that I no longer carry those memories because when I do, they inform the present. And so mindfulness and meditation is a beautiful way to be present to just a loving spirit. And I can always tell and test when that's the case when I'm around little children and animals where they read the spirit, they know what your energy is like. Not long ago, I was at a conference and the speaker had a little tiny dog that walked around throughout the conference room. And at one point, the little dog just laid on the floor in front of its owner and just listened as she gave a presentation. And then she just got up and walked over and jumped in my lap and just sat there. <laughs> And everybody in the room was just like in awe, and I was in awe. But it reminded me of an example that I've shared over the years. When your countenance has become clean, when you've forgiven all the bad stuff and released it, it is amazing how that energy attracts and draws others, and it helps them find that place of love inside too. Well, Dr. Bray, it's so interesting you say that because I've interviewed nearly 300 successful people. And the, one of the common denominators that they tell me about success is it's about letting go. It's not about yeah. doing things, learning things nearly as much as it's about letting go. It's about surrender. Is that what makes you such an excellent coach is because you teach what you just described? Well, that's one of the things. There are probably three or four major things. Letting go of the past keeps away fear. And fear very often informs actions that are unwholesome for ourselves and for others. And I found that to be true for me. So when I was able to forget the experiences and forgive the people in those experiences, I marveled at how I could carry a heart filled with love and light. So instead of being just mindful about things, I could be heartful. And feeling heartful has just made it possible for me to embrace joy every day. I don't know what will happen throughout the day, but I know that it will be received from a heart that is accepting and grateful. I don't think the universe makes mistakes with us. And so as I move about from day to day, as I work with clients, as I work and mentor researchers, it's to get a sense of where you are and be present, accepting, and grateful. And then to be willing to deeply listen to the voice of the divine speaking through us. I equate it to trees. Little boxwoods know how tall they're supposed to be and where they grow well. Oaks and the mighty redwoods know how tall they're supposed to be and where they grow best. And because we're creatures too, it makes sense to me that when I'm paying attention, I will know where I'm supposed to be and how I will just thrive. So I listen less. I talk less. I try to be really present wherever I am in the world so I will know how to respond and not just react. 
So you listen less and talk less. So I listen that you're more. more. Present. Okay, I, I wanted to check that. I listen less to outside, to outside stuff. I listen okay. more to inside. In fact, I tell clients now, with a PhD and years of experience working in organizations of all types, I have found that it's really important to live in a way that's like an inverse operation. I depend less and less on all of the formal training and the things that I've read and the things I've been taught. And I depend more and more on this inner wisdom. I found that when I do, I am so rightly guided and often so quickly that it's amazing to me, amazing to clients, amazing to researchers. And I find that Many times people will call me and say, well, what do you think about this? And my reaction is often to say, well, what do you think? But now that I've learned to respond through this listening deeply, I'm amazed at how the right question or the right answer just comes. And it's often timely where it, will, it saves time, it saves money. It improves the quality of relationships. And for this, I am so grateful. When I talk about the topic of mindfulness, yes. I like to talk about spirit and yes. religion. Are yes. you a religious person? And if mm -hmm. so, can you tell us about that? I am not religious at all. I am a member of a Quaker, the Religious Society of Friends here in Wilmington. But I don't think of it as religion. I have no real sense that simply books alone will rightly guide. I am so deeply spiritual. I believe that this voice inside provides wisdom that's just rich and profound and meaningful. It allows me to live a life that feels purposeful. It allows me to connect with others in relationships in ways that are just so loving and affirming and nurturing. I marvel at the kinds of people who come my way. Old people, young people, Black people, white people, Native Americans, Latinos. I marvel. And I am grateful to have the kind of spirit that is able to connect with those who are not others, but in the oneness of the creation who are my brothers and my sisters. It fills me with compassion to be able to connect and to be able to hear with heartfulness and openness when it comes to mindfulness. Well, my sense is that you've been a wonderful contributor to the world because you've been a university professor, you've been a vice president of a technology firm, you've coached for 18 years, and your coaching business is called Woo Lee Turtle, W-U-L-I Turtle. Can you tell us how you came up with the name Woo Lee Turtle? Yes. Gary Zukoff wrote a book many years ago titled The Dancing Woo Lee Masters. And it was a way to understand physics and energy without the formulas. I was fascinated, loved the book. Well, wooly is a term that means patterns of organic energy, how we take our dreams and visions and, 
as patterns and convert them to tangible material reality in our lives. And the turtle is a symbol in many cultures for longevity. And so it was wonderful to be able to combine the two, knowing that many businesses fail in the first year, more than 90% of them. And I so wanted to be around for the long term. My pictures of my parents are behind me. My father, many years ago in Montgomery, Alabama, he and his brothers owned three businesses. So I grew up with entrepreneurs. I didn't know what it was like to be an employee. And it has been lovely to take the pattern of organic energy, the longevity of turtles, put them together and have people remember, oh, you're that lady who owns that turtle business. (laughs) So it means that in their minds, it is imprinted. And when I think about how energy affects the universe, there is energy that has been sent out across the cosmos that says, we'll be around until I transition. I love that. Now, I I know that you were the vice president of a technology firm. How did you get there? Are you a technology master or how did you end up with a technology firm? I... I'm a retired lieutenant colonel. I spent 21 years in the Army, and my specialties were logistics and information systems. I worked at the Army's computer science school as the director of software, and so all of the Army's programmers, both officer and enlisted and warrant officers, went through the department. And even though I was quite young at the time, I clearly understood that for us to be successful, we really had to have professionals who were not just skilled, but were able to deeply listen, because the wisdom of the universe will fill you with ideas that will save your life and the lives of others. And so we had young people who left the computer science school and went to work in the White House, worked in the Pentagon, worked in commands all over the world, and many did very, very well. Well, leaving there, I worked in the Pentagon with a general officer in one of the departments, in fact, DesOps. And when I was working on my PhD, I got a call from the Pentagon one day saying they wanted to reassign me there. And I knew that if I went back, it would be very difficult to finish the PhD. I had enough time. I retired, went to talk to this general officer, and he said, we would love to have you come work with us. And as it turned out, it was information security. So I left the Army's Computer Science School, the DOD Computer Institute, went to work with this organization as a project manager. And from working as a project manager, got promoted to a vice president of a region where we had individuals working in several cities on the East Coast. And I was responsible for their work. It was amazing. Wow. This was the early days of telecommuting. (laughs) So I was one of the first telecommuters. (laughs) That's so interesting. And then all through, well, for the last 18 years, you've been a coach. I want to ask you, Dr. Bray, what is one of the first things you do when someone approaches you and you create an agreement where you're going to coach them? What's your process? How do you get started and how do you help them? Getting started means I have to really listen to understand exactly what they want in terms of results. And once I have a good sense of what they desire and by when they desire it, 
I find that it is possible for me to then work with them to create a strategy that will allow them to achieve their desired result within the time that they've specified. Now, to do that sometimes means that they have to learn new skills. So we identify what they already know, and then we identify what they must learn and figure out how soon we can get them in a program that will allow them to meet their goal. Then we adjust the environment. Sometimes what they desire as results means that they need to be in a space that's different. They need to either remove things or they need to add things. And then the last thing is almost every desire, there's a little voice inside that's always saying, oh, no, you can't, or no, you won't, or we have all kinds of baggage that must be cleared. And this is the beauty of mindfulness. Mindfulness allows us to open our inner space so that it's empty. That means sometimes it's forgiving. Sometimes it's simply getting complete and saying, cancel this. I just refuse to be open to that. Uh, or I have simply laid that down. In fact, I found that I had to do that regarding the people who did awful things in Montgomery, who lynched, who killed, who arrested, who firehosed. Some of those people are dead. And because they're dead, they would never be able to say, I'm sorry. Fortunately, George Wallace, Governor Wallace, was able to apologize to Black people for some of the atrocious behavior when he was governor. But I realized that, with the help of the Spirit, that it was up to me to forgive. I would carry the burden if they didn't. So like the clients, I had conversation with them about clearing this inner space, getting it so that it's empty, creating a space of things that just don't matter so that it will be possible for them to hear the things that really matter, to embrace them as possibility and to be prepared to move forward. Wow. I love what you're saying. And I want to ask you a question since it's Black History Month. February is Black History Month. How can I, as a white person, help to celebrate Black History Month and possibly make a difference? Well, I don't even think about it as Black History Month anymore. I think about an awareness regarding all people so that I carry this gift of awareness all of the time. I'm open to hearing truth. I'm open to being able to discount things that I know to be lies and falsehood. I'm open to acknowledging and nourishing other people. It's like Hispanic Month and Asian Month. I don't think, well, while we set aside these months to draw special attention, I believe from a heartful place, it is up to me every day to be present to others as brothers and sisters. In fact, for this Black history, for this year, one of the things I have purposed to do, and I got them last year and have been so busy with travel, I haven't read them. These are all of the books that Dr. King wrote and the book by Mohandas Gandhi on nonviolence. Many times we carry such unawareness around what constitutes violence, violence in our thinking towards others, because everything is energy. We project that violence in our speech, violence in our actions, even subtle actions. My desire is to carry such an acute awareness that I'm able to catch myself and make a shift. 
And I think that when I do, and I'm open, having started the day with acceptance and gratitude and a spirit filled with love and light, that what I'm able to do is affirm the personhood of others and not wait for just a month to do it. Right. Well, it's interesting what you say, because I, I had been thinking, well, could I showcase a number of guests who could speak on the topic of black history and maybe take a week and just showcase those interviews, yours being the first one. You know, I sort of thinking of something like that. Now I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time and I always ask a question about this. Have you ever been bullied or do you have a story about bullying that you could share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Now this could have been as a child or in business as an adult any story at all? Absolutely. When I integrated the middle school in Montgomery, Alabama, Cloverdale, I was bullied in ways that were just horrific. Mm. It is not enough to be told. In fact, I almost, I won't use the terms and the phrases. I don't want to put them in the universe again. Things that they believed about Black people, things that children and their parents said to Black people, and then it was clear because it was in the newspaper every day, things that were done to Black people. My mother, embracing nonviolence, simply said, if you get in a fight and come home and I am made aware, you will have another fight with me. She was so committed to nonviolence and that didn't mean that I had to be passive, that I couldn't stand up and confront evil, but that I was not to retaliate with violence. And so I found myself whispering prayers, both for me and those that I interacted with the other children and their parents and the teachers at the school, the administrators at the school. Help us all. Help us all. I can remember sitting in a church listening to Dr. King address the importance of nonviolence and not retaliating and not using violence that would be like putting gasoline on a fire. You don't fight fire with fire. No. And it was just a gift. And even now as an adult, when I think back to those days as a child, there are times when I have simply when there has been wrongdoing, just project it out into the universe, love and light, knowing that like the symbol for the yin and the yang, there are always for light, there will always be darkness. The brightest light helps to balance the darkest darkness. It's like, let me carry this bright light. And in so doing, I don't do it just for me, but to help model the way for others. Mm. And I, there are times that I, instead of learning just pass, it's deep listening again to know what to say and when to say and how to say and to whom to say and where to say. It has made a tremendous difference. I live in a community where I'm the only Black person. There are 66 homes and families in my neighborhood. And I've been the only person of color. I think there's a, there's a Hispanic man who moved in a year ago. 
but it has been amazing to be known in the community. All of the children know me by name. Many of the adults see me walking in the community. And it's as though word has spread from one family to the other. This is our colonel. This is our doctor. <laughs> this is our civil rights veteran. <laughs> I love that. Um, it has been amazing. I'll give an example. I, as a military officer, learned that you fly the flag with a light if you don't take it down every night. And one of my neighbors is a former naval, is a naval officer. And we've had flags out forever. And my flag has a, has a light. I noticed that he had added a light to his flag. So we get to, without saying a word, model the way and help teach others how to be present to the humanity of others. As I have paid attention to what has happened with the national anthem and the mistaken discussion around kneeling when the national anthem has been shared for for events regarding, oh, football games, athletic events. Right. And the reasoning behind the kneeling was mistaken. And as a result, reactions to it were not always, were often not appropriate. And so it has been lovely to see the football players. I understand exactly why, given the violence against people of color in recent years and the need to be able to communicate that this needs to stop, that it's important to know how to communicate a message that raises awareness so that actions, that behavior changes. And we do that in many ways. And we're constantly listening to the divine to understand how to communicate the need for change so that it can be received and change can be taken or made. Yes, I'm glad you commented about that that uh, situation that's been in the news about kneeling. As we move forward toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Dr. Bray. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? The person who influenced my mindfulness most was my mother, and she never knew the word mindfulness. But when things were happening that certainly were disturbing, mother would quietly pray, but she would also get very quiet. And there was like this deep listening, what am I to do? for my eight children. So I think of her when I think of mindfulness. There are people who are in the news, John Kabat-Zinn and others who've written publications, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and others on mindfulness. But I tell you, to have grown up with one who covered, modeled, practiced mindfulness, I embrace mindfulness for her modeling. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Mindfulness has made it possible for me to respond instead of react. Instead of carrying anger all the time so that when something is said that's harmful and hurtful, I am ready to retaliate with 
the same type of expression. I now realize that, and I believe, I've heard it said that love is the answer. And so for everything that happens, it's like, go inside and find what would love do? What would love say? What would love think? How would love behave? That's how mindfulness and slowing down has really blessed and helped me. What great questions to ask. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing for me represents the source of life. When breath ends, we've transitioned to a new place. And so I treasure breath like I treasure love. And there is such gratitude and acceptance. And I can't say enough for the breath. With each breath, I am given an opportunity, a possibility to be my best self, to think my best thought, to say the best words. That's the importance of breathing for me. Without breath, I am not. With breath, I am. Mm. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that book be, Dr. Braid? Well, I started with John Kabat-Zinn's book on mindfulness. And there's a little story that I will always remember about skill, how we invest so much money in trying to learn skill. And he gave an example of a man who needed to butcher an animal. And through mindfulness, he was shown with no skill how to do this. And I have marveled how, as I have come to understand universal consciousness and the oneness of humanness, that all of this expertise exists. And to the extent that we are open and teachable and willing, it is remarkable how through allowing this will be brought to us. So that book for one, there's also this little book that I keep on a table near me all the time, and it's called Unclutter Your Mind, because it's difficult to be mindful if what you have is all kinds of rat brain garbage running around inside. So you can't be good for yourself. You can't be good in relationships. You can't be good in your work. You can't be good as a steward of creation. We have, like right now in America, we've got 3,000 communities with contaminated water, much like Flint. And it's almost as though we're doing nothing. We're mindless. And so the combination of being heartful and mindful makes it possible to hear the divine and the universe speaking to us with answers regarding how to respond. And not just because of more money or greed or having this. Mm. Can you share an app? which helps you to be more mindful? Or do you, do you know of one that helps maybe some of your clients? Believe it or not, I have not used an application that helps me to be more mindful. But what I have done is to use music that helps me to be more mindful. There is a set of four CDs and they are no longer available out on the, um, out on Amazon. In fact, I was out on Amazon recently and I found one of the CDs and immediately bought it, even though I own the set of four. And that CD is by Sonic Aid. And it's a CD that 
helps with concentration, helps with sleep, helps with just being more aware. I strongly support and recommend that as opposed to just an application with more questions and more stuff to think about. Do you meditate? Daily. There are many definitions for meditation. My meditation is to simply be still and quiet. There's that wonderful biblical verse that says, be still and know that I am God and God is love. So in every situation, whether it's starting the day, being mindful about what comes into my body. My father had prostate cancer. My mom died of breast cancer. So I know that there's a tendency in my DNA and genes. And so I don't want medications. I don't want drugs. So mindfulness for me is starting every day, going inside to speak to every cell in my body about how it is loved. There's a Japanese scientist who did the study on water where he had the little children just think about love. And when they froze the crystals, they were perfect. I try to stay in memory of that experiment as a researcher because I know that informs what my inner body is like. So I start the day with that. And then for the external, it's because our thinking and our speaking projects so much into the external world. It's to start from the same place of thinking and speaking with love to project into the world so that every person I come in contact with, every word that's said, every action that's taken is sourced from this place. And when it is, it can't help but be representative of light instead of shadow. Dr. Bray, you have shared so much wisdom, so much knowledge today. How can we learn more about you? How can we connect with you? How could we possibly connect with you to hire you to help us? You're so wonderful. What I have is a website, and on that website, I offer an email and a phone number. My email is rbray, R-B-R-A-Y-E, number Two at gmail.com or R-B-R-A-Y-E at W-U-L-I-Turtle.com, Wooly Turtle. Or to call the number, and the number is 703-864-3769. I'd love to hear from your audience. As I prepared for this podcast, my in the least intention was to touch the hearts of those who are wanting to live from the source that reveals best thinking, best speaking, best action. And if you have questions about how I do it or how I can support you in doing it, I would love to reach you. I have co-authored a number of books and you can contact me. One is Discover Your Inner Strength. And I co-authored this with Brian Tracy and Ken Blanchard. And it was one of the last books Dr. Stephen Covey contributed to, as I understand. Ah. I also co-authored Success Strategies. They're available on Amazon, but I'd love it if you'd get them from me because then I'll get to know you. Here, um, Marjorie Blanchard, Dr. Ken Blanchard, One Minute Manager's wife, was one of the co-authors. 
along with Brian Tracy. And for those of you who know Dr. Warren Bennis, who's like one of the preeminent leadership scholars out at USC, he contributed to this one as well. So I'd love to have you reach out to me. And then one that I did with students on service learning that so often our young people go out into the community, but have not been prepared to serve from a place of love. And these were young people who were communicated with to help prime the pump so that when they met little children in the communities, they shared with such love that they were transformed as college students and the children they worked with were transformed. I shall forever be grateful to have had the opportunity to work with them. Thank you for asking me. You're welcome. And it's just been great being with you today. And thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Bray. It has been my pleasure. Bruce, continued success in all that you do in the ways that you serve. Thank you very much, you too. Bye now. Goodbye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Oh, and don't forget about the Relax and Breathe Summit at mindfulnessmode.com slash RAB2018. It's going to be a terrific, terrific free event. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.